Adventures in a Small World. Hello and welcome to another episode of Strangers in a Small World. Today we have a conversation with Curry Stegan. Curry is a retired Air Force Reserve officer currently living in Utah and today he spends his time as a paranormal investigator. He is absolutely passionate about paranormal and is the creator of the podcast Passion for the Paranormal. During our conversation, we go into details on how how Curry became interested in the paranormal, how he got started, his first experience with the paranormal, and we touched on the many different types of paranormal activity from spirits, Bigfoot, UFOs, NDAs, and much more. It's always awesome to have a conversation with someone who is extremely passionate about what they do, and Curry was no exception. So, with that, let's go into our conversation with Curry. Today on the show, we've got Curry. He is a um, he has a podcast, Passion for the Paranormal, which we'll dig into. And um, we're going to get to hear a little bit how he got where he is today, I hope. Yeah, so, I think that's kind of where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess to start, why don't you start off with a little bit of the story of how you got to where you are? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I uh, really come from a, a background where uh, I really didn't get involved in the paranormal tale kind of later in life. And, you know, I'm in my late 40s now. Uh, I actually am a retired Air Force Reserve officer, uh, spent 25 years with the Air Force, both on the active duty side and the reserve side. And uh, I've always kind of had a, a fascination, if you will, with the, the paranormal. And when I say paranormal, I'm using that as a broader definition. You'll hear a lot of people when they say paranormal they usually use that to define, um, you know, ghosts and spirits and, you know, ghostly encounters and that sort of thing. But when I say paranormal, I'm talking about the wider definition of anything that's not really scientifically explainable. So uh, that can include, uh, you know, ghosts and spirits. And uh, I lump in there UFOs and even Bigfoot and, you know, a whole bunch of different types of paranormal phenomena, um, near-death experiences Bigfoot, I cover all these kinds of topics on my podcast show, but really where it started for me was uh, I really had an interest. I have never had any experiences through my life with ghosts, and I knew a lot of people that actually had had experiences, and a lot of them were very credible people. They weren't people that I, you know, I would consider that had mental problems or that sort of thing. They were all pretty credible people, uh, and I'd heard you know, I talked to a lot of people that had had strange experiences, and, and I was always kind of just fascinated with their experiences. And then, you know, go back to about 2004, uh, and uh, Ghost Hunters, the show Ghost Hunters kicked off, and that show was done by the Atlantic Paranormal Society, and uh, it, uh, it aired on sci-fi, and I kind of got captivated by that show. I really enjoyed the show, uh, and, uh, you know, they, they really... I really enjoyed their approach, too, because, I mean, they really kind of tried to take a, you know, somewhat of a scientific approach to looking at the paranormal. And, uh, you know, oftentimes they would meet with clients and uh, after they do an investigation, 
And they would say, hey, we have no evidence that there's anything going on here. And you'll see that some of the newer shows, they don't really do that now. Uh, so I really kind of, that was the show that really started for me. I kind of started to take interest. But having said that, I always had kind of a skeptical mindset as well, because again, I never had these experiences for myself. So uh, back in t early 2013, I got an opportunity. And again, this was always my curiosity. This was the curiosity factor. I really wanted to find out more. I really wanted to find out, is there something, you know, real about uh, ghosts and, and spirits? A lot of other people had had experiences that I knew. And so I really wanted to kind of find out for myself. And I think it was the curiosity factor. So uh, my wife and I actually got invited to go with another group to go out while they were doing an investigation. They invited some guests. And uh, so we went along and uh, just kind of, you know, in, in observe mode, just kind of watching as they did an investigation. Uh, we had a little bit of participation in it, not a lot. Uh, so that was, again, this is about early 2013. And then um, we got invited along to do another one. And so uh, this time it was just myself. And uh, I went along with uh, some paranormal investigators and just kind of watched and observed again. I uh, had a digital voice recorder. I, I understood the, again, from, from watching the show Ghost Hunters, uh, I understood the concept of EVPs or electronic voice phenomena. And uh, basically what EVPs are, are uh, voices that we pick up on uh, digital voice recorders that we don't hear with our own ears. So uh, it, it's a, you know, you pick up a voice that something you didn't hear in real time while you were there and you're going back and playing on a voice recorder and you pick up a voice there and uh you know it, it, there's an a, analyzation of the evps uh, or the audio clips if you will you know you go back you analyze them and uh you know it's always about trying to find out is there a logical explanation and uh you know once you kind of rule out all the other stuff was it somebody else's voice there um, that sort of thing, then you can kind of get to the unknown. And that is, you know, kind of where it gets into the paranormal realm. So I went with the group and again, it kind of heightened my curiosity. I had a couple of strange experiences on the second, uh, the, the second visit I had with the group or, or investigation I went on. A uh, couple of shadows that I couldn't explain. I uh, actually saw a strange um, glowing ball of light uh, that I could not find a light source for. Oh. And I witnessed the, this thing kind of float up the wall and disappear. And so, you know, I'm having these experiences. And, and uh, at the time, there was no one in the room. I was I was kind of looking up in this window in this. Uh, we were walking from one building to another, and I was ahead of the rest of the group. And I looked up and saw this glowing orb, if you will, with my own eyes. And uh, it was green colored, kind of floated up and disappeared. And, uh, you know, again, I, I couldn't explain it. Uh, I looked back at the group and I said, is there anybody up there on the second floor in that in that uh, room? And they said, no, nobody's up there. And, you know, we even called out to see if anybody was up there. Nobody was up there. Um, so a couple of strange experiences. And, uh, you know, they had a couple of other things that happened that were kind of strange on the investigation. And again, that kind of just, um, you know, heightened my curiosity and uh, down the road a ways after I after I did that investigation with that other group, my sister-in-law was involved with the paranormal group. And 
she actually invited me along to go on an investigation with the group she was working with. And so, you know, of course, at this point, my curiosity had been heightened, and uh, I went along with, with the uh, investigation of the group she was working with. And, uh, you know, again, kind of just had some a couple of um, strange experiences that happened on that investigation. And uh, they invited me along again, and I ended up becoming a member of the group and uh, ended up working with them. And, and the group I was working with, you know, they were really, um, again, they really looked at it as they really tried to debunk anything that they experienced on an investigation. So if the client was saying that, you know, the, the window was slamming shut and opening, you know, we're looking for vents and we're looking for, you know, logical explanations for why that may be occurring. Right. And so, you know, that's what I really, really appreciated with the group that uh, I started working with is they really did try to, you know, take an objective approach to investigating. And so I really liked that. And, uh, you know, I had a voice recorder and I actually caught a couple of EVPs that, you know, early on when I was doing this that I couldn't explain. And uh, I'll give you a, an example. So aside from that investigation with the, the group I started working with, I actually got told by another individual about an interesting location. And uh, it was actually an old cemetery that was um, part of an old abandoned mining town out here. I live in Utah. I'm in northern Utah. And this place is out in the middle of the desert. Uh, it is all that's left, again, of this old mining town. And the, the name of the town is called Merker. And uh, I got told there was some pretty interesting things that people had experienced out there. So uh, my wife, believe it or not, actually mustered up the courage to go out there with me on a on an early November evening. We went out there. I took a voice recorder, and you know we were walking around and uh, you know asking questions, doing what we call EVP sessions, and nothing was going on. And uh, towards the tail end of there, um, I had a flashlight, one of those mag flashlights, where you turn the the top. Uh, and the light will come on or come off. And I was trying to get some interaction with that. And towards the end, we started to get some interaction with the flashlight. And uh, had a voice recorder I was holding as well. And, you know, again, we're doing EVP sessions. And we started hearing some strange whistling. Well, the first thought is, is it a bird? You know, we're outside, outdoors. There's all kinds of wildlife out there. There's coyotes and different birds and all kinds of stuff out there. So, uh but it sounded like somebody casually whistling. Um, and so we had just started getting interaction with the mag flashlight, and then that happened. And at this point, it's dark. It's pitch dark. There's nobody else out there that we know of. It's my wife and I, and my wife is dragging me down the hill <laughs> trying to get out of there. So she's spooked. Um, she's thinking maybe there's some sort of squatters out there or something. But, you know, we walked the whole area out there. I mean, we probably covered... 100 to 200 yard perimeter around that old cemetery and there was nobody out there um and you know to my knowledge there was never anybody out there while we were there and uh so a couple of days later i'm going back and reviewing the voice recorder and uh i was standing in front of the sign in front of this old cemetery and uh the sign just said marker cemetery and i was doing an evp session and i had a, had the mag flashlight in my hand well, I captured a voice on there, and uh, it was a male voice, and uh, it sounded like the voice was saying, time to turn off the flashlight. Whoa. And, 
as you can imagine, I'm kind of taken aback by this, the hair standing up on my arms. I had never captured an EVP before. Um, so this was really the first EVP I'd ever captured, and it was a good one. I mean, it was clear as could be. It was really what some would consider a Class A EVP. And, uh, you know, I'm playing it back for my sister-in-law because I told her about it, and I didn't tell her what, what was on the recording. Right. And I asked her, tell me what you think is being said here. And uh, so she puts on the headphones and, and uh, plays it. And it was a little bit faint, but you could hear what was being said. And uh, so I said, so what do you think? What was being said? And she looks back at me and says, sounds like you're saying time to turn off the flashlight. And I said, yes, that's exactly what I hear. Wow. Yeah. And so that was my very first experience of having an EVP. And you know, to me, that is, uh, there's theories on hauntings and, and spirits and the type of activity experience. There's one that it's just a, what they call residual type haunting, where it's kind of just something that's playing back over and over again. And then the other one is an intelligent spirit or haunting. And in this case, it seemed to be interacting with me because I had a flashlight in my hand. The sure. flashlight was on. And so, you know, again, this kind of thing that's just, you know, just absolutely floored me. I was like, wow, are you kidding me? I couldn't explain it because it was just me and my wife there. And I had no explanation for that. Again, we scoured the whole area around that, that cemetery and we didn't see a single soul. And we're out in the middle of the desert. And so um, it's really up on, the, on this uh, low part of the mountaintop. And it is all desert landscape, and it is out in the middle of nowhere. So, again, this is all that's left of this old mining town. And so at this point, I'm just, you know, of course, I'm captivated. I'm just like, wow, this is unbelievable. And, you know, I tried to, you know, rationally think, well, what could it be? Um, you know, am I picking up, you know, somebody's voice from, you know, the uh, radio or something like that? Uh, however, you'd think it'd have a little different sound to it if that were the case. And so, you know, again, this was just fascinating to me. And, uh, of course, I'm I'm kind of getting hooked at this point. And so it just carried on from there. I started working with uh, the new group that my sister-in-law was working with. And, you know, we, you know, I was doing one to two investigations a month. And, you know, I started buying more equipment. And, you know, it just started growing from there. And... Uh, you know, I, I will say this uh, about the paranormal. There's a lot of shows out there that, you know, when you're watching the shows, there's all kinds of stuff going on and people are getting pushed and all that kind of stuff. And that's really not reality. And that's not my experience either. There's a lot of times where I'll go out on a paranormal investigation and not a thing happens. Um, not a single thing. And it can be at a location where we've had stuff happen before. Um, so, you know, <laughs> if you wanted to draw an analogy, I could say it's kind of like fishing. You go out fishing one day and, you know, you throw your line out there and you, you can't miss. You're catching fish left and right. And then you go out another day and you can't catch a single fish using the same kind of bait or if in the case of fly fishing, use the same kind of fly. And the next time you can't catch a thing. So, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the analogy I would draw to it, you know, but it, it was just fascinating to me. And um, again, coming from a skeptic viewpoint, I never really was sure I believed in ghosts or spirits, but I had to find out for myself. And so that was really what it was about. And as I started having more experiences while we were on investigations, 
you know, I just got more and more drawn into it. And, uh, you know, I, I just really, really got fascinated by it. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, I mentioned that, you know, I really cover all kinds of paranormal topics on my show. I've also been a, a big follower of the UFO phenomena for many years. For many, many years, long before I ever got involved in paranormal investigating, um, going all the way back to the Roswell case and reading different books about it, um, going back to Philip Corso's book, The Day After Roswell, and uh, I was always fascinated by that as well. And uh, there's so many people out there who have had experiences, credible people, whether it be, you know, the World War II pilots that... The, uh, had experiences seeing UFOs and called them Foo Fighters, you know, to the Roswell case, to going to case after case, to the Rendlesham Forest case. So many credible witnesses that have experienced this, and I was just captivated by that as well. So really going back to the UFO issue, I've been uh, reading about it and following it for many, many years. Wow. Wow. That's an incredible story. Yeah. So many questions and... <laughs> ways to go from here but that is that's really something i just you telling me that story about the mining town i got chills here so that's that's <laughs> kind of that's crazy so yeah and, and <laughs> you know i will say this um I, i'm always of the opinion and there's a lot of people my mother to this day i took her on a paranormal investigation um there was a few strange things that we had happened during that investigation but to this day she's still a skeptic and she's still Really, even though I've told her about all the many experiences I've had, it's really, for her, it comes down to having her own, if she were to have her own experience, and that's what it comes down to for a lot of people. They really got to have their own experience before they're going to say, yeah, I believe in that. And that's really, I think that's kind of where it came down to me. Once I actually had experiences that, even though I tried to explain them away, I couldn't. And at that point, you know, I knew there was something to it. I knew there was something to it, and 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 I've never been someone that tries to convince somebody else that that doesn't believe that this stuff exists because there's certain people that you're never going to convince. They're they're skeptics, and and you know I mentioned my mother's one of them, uh, and uh, until she has a apparition show up right in front of her, uh, and uh, you know smack her on the back of the head, she's not going to believe. And even if that happens, she'd probably try to explain it away. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, so and you know, so I'm I'm I never try and convince anybody that that this is real. Other than I do like to share my experiences, and especially for people that are open to it, I would say I mentioned I'm a skeptic, or I always was a skeptic, and I would say that just means I always have a discerning mind. I'm always, you know, always trying to ask, you know trying to come up with logical explanations for things and i always did but there's some things i just couldn't explain and, and the experiences i had so that's kind of how it all started for me right when was the point where you're like okay this isn't something that people are just making up this thing is this is paranormal stuff is real and i believe yeah i think um i mentioned the first two investigations i went on with the group and and, uh, you know, they had um, some interaction with the Mac flashlights. And if you ask somebody who's a skeptic, they're going to say, well, you know, you're separating the element in the front of that flashlight, which makes it very easy to go on and off. 
And so that's trickery. And so, you know, you getting those things going off. Uh, and, and I can understand that because that's oftentimes the way my mind works as well. Um, but it's really the totality of experiences that I was having, the EVPs, seeing shadows that, you know, I couldn't, there was a shadow moving across the wall in the opposite direction, opposite direction I was walking. And, you know, there was nobody casting a shadow that was with our group that would be going in that direction. So how do you explain that? Well, I can't. I, I can't explain it. So um, really, I was still kind of on the fence at that point. But really, once I went out to that marker mining town uh, cemetery and had a few strange experiences there, I'd say, yeah, that's where it started for me and where I really started saying, well, I think there's there's something to this. Absolutely. Incredible. Um, so just I'm not really familiar with the EVP, but um, you mentioned that you you, you're not listening to that live. You have to go back and listen to it later. Yeah, that's correct. So um, there's other devices that paranormal investigators use. Some use the spirit box, which uses a white noise background and sweeps through radio stations. I've never had any luck with those things. And, um, you know, that would be more of a live type um, interaction, if you want to call it that. I, again, I don't put a lot of stock in that device. But yeah, the the digital voice recorders are, you know, we use them, but you may hear what's called a disembodied voice, and I've heard those oftentimes on investigations, and that is something you're hearing real time with your own ears. Uh, But an EVP is generally something that you don't hear at the time, but you're going back and playing your voice recorder, and then you catch the voice. I see. So does the voice recorder record at different frequencies that the human ear can't hear? Or is it just you kind of slow it down and you're listening very discreetly at that sound? Well, I, I, some of them do. And, and uh, some of the voice recorders can go all the way down to about 20 hertz, which um, I don't know if you've ever done the sound test. Um, so, you know, they say human speech can go anywhere from 20 hertz all the way up to, I believe it's 20,000 kilohertz. Uh, but generally that lower end in the 20 hertz, I can't hear. Right. Um, you know, once you get up into about getting closer to the 50 hertz range, and there's an audio test you can do online, um, and it's really, really, you know, it's really, really hard to hear at that lower end until it gets to close to about 50 hertz is when I start to hear it with my own ears. But some of the voice recorders, uh, there's some very sensitive ones, and they can go down to about 20 hertz, um, all the way up into that 20,000 kilohertz range. And it depends on the voice recorder. It depends on the quality of it. Sure. Um, they're very sensitive as well. So, I mean, they're going to, you know, they're going to pick up something. And we used to we used to have a joke in our group that we have a couple with condenser mics that we use, voice recorders that, you know, you could hear a, marsh, a mouse fart. That was the <laughs> joke we used to say. Like um, and they're very sensitive. So, you know. Uh, yes, that, and they may be out you know, outside of the range of what's normally what your your ear can you know pick up or hear. So, um, and we've had EVPs that have been in that lower voice, you know, that lower um, frequency range. We've had some that are more on the higher end of the frequency range. So it just depends. But yeah, I would say just in general, the voice recorders are just very sensitive. Got it. You also mentioned that there was an EVP, I don't know what you call the protocol or a uh, talking that you did. What does that entail? 
Um, so when we're doing, you talking about EVP session? Yes. And then, yeah. So that's really where we're we're really asking questions. And uh, to someone who's never done paranormal investigating before, again, I mentioned I took my mother out just on a recent investigation. Uh, it's it's a little bit weird to somebody who's never done this before because we're essentially asking questions to something we can't see, but we think may be there. So it's really about asking, you know, who may be here with us, and then we pause, you know, and usually it's it's a fairly short question. Um, are you here with us? And then it's a yes, yes or no. And then we pause, uh, you know, 10, 20 seconds, and then we ask another follow-up question. Um, so it's really about just asking short questions. And then what I found in doing paranormal investigating is I try to I try to get to know the history of a location where we're at, because really what we're trying to do is make a connection. If there's spirits there that are kind of lingering, um, you know, if you know the history and you know what's going on at that location, you, you have a better chance probably of making a connection with whatever's there. So, you know, learning the history of the location and trying to make a connection, um, even if, you know, there was people that died at the location and you know names, you can call out names, uh, you can ask questions, uh, you know, if somebody, you know, obviously that's, that's pretty traumatic if somebody died at a certain location. Sure. Uh, we try to always be respectful, uh, you know, to try and make a genuine connection with whatever's there. Now, uh, what I wanted to say as well is that there's a lot of fear um, associated with this subject, and I think a lot of it is unnecessary. I think a lot of it is Hollywood plays on it. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the paranormal shows nowadays play on it. Um, you know, there's always something dark. There's there's something demonic or something dark. And it's one particular show that I won't mention that that always plays on this. It plays on people's fears, and 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 I found a lot of people out there are just absolutely frightened of the subject. And I think it's, you know, for me, I have never had a bad experience since I've been doing this. And when I say a bad experience, I've never had anything follow me. I've never had, I've never been physically harmed. I've never had anything negative that I can think of ever happen to me. And in fact, everything that's happened to me, uh, I've been touched before. And, uh, you know, out of the blue, I'm the only one standing in the room and I feel something touch me on the arm. That was one of my first experiences of being touched happened about a year into doing this. And uh, it wasn't a scary moment for me. It was actually exciting. It was a positive experience to me because I think something was generally trying to interact with me. And uh, I felt, you know, this really heavy sense of energy come on me. Um, where I felt goosebumps head to toe, and that's oftentimes, I think, the way I feel uh, spiritual energy. And then I felt something touch me on the arm. Hmm. So to me, that was something trying to interact with me. Uh, it wasn't trying to harm me. Maybe it was just trying to get my attention. I felt the energy. And uh, so I guess that's one of the things that, uh, for me in this field, is I really want to take, there's way too much of, the the fear factor of this and people playing on the dark side of this and again i know that sells you know i know that sells in hollywood i know that helps ratings on shows but it's not the reality for me um it's not what happens when i go out and do paranormal investigating now 
I had a guy on the show just recently, Michael Murchie, who has had negative experiences and was talking about the dark side of the paranormal. It's a new topic. I'm just, I have a show coming out mid-month that's going to cover that. And so I'm not saying it's not real. I'm just saying it hasn't been an experience of mine. And uh, I think all too often people rush to to judgment. You know, whether it be, and you know, this is not a slam on anybody's religious background or anything like that. I would never do that. But depending on what your, you know, your religious background may kind of influence the way you look at the subject. I'll just say that. Um, And, you know, I come from a Christian background. And uh, that's the other thing is there's often times some people look at you like, why do you do this? You know, I mean, you're really not supposed to do this stuff. Um, And, and, you know, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as um, I'm trying to, you know, interact with spirits. I'm trying to gather evidence. And, uh, you know, that's ultimately what it's about is trying to get evidence. And, And evidence, when I say evidence, something that's EVP related or video related. Now, um, videos, we very seldom get video evidence, but we have had it. Um, we've captured shadows on video. And uh, going back to uh, the town, that, that marker mining town or the cemetery of what's left of the old mining town, we had a trap camera set up on, uh, on one of the um, grave markers. They had these old wooden slats around the graves because you're talking early 1900s where most of these uh, graves are the other thing back up for just a second i don't go into cemeteries at night that's not something i do this is the one exception um and again it's because it's out in the middle of nowhere uh it is what's left of an old mining town um aside from that i don't go into cemeteries it's just not something i do uh again marker is an exception we had a trap camera set up on the little wooden slat that was one of the markers around the uh, one of the graves. Um, and uh, we actually picked up what looked like a shadow materializing near a gravesite and uh, walked along back behind a grove of trees and kind of just looked like it disappeared. Wow. Now, we tried to go back and uh, we analyzed before and after, and uh, about an hour before that, we saw one of our investigators walk that same area, and you could clearly see that it was one of our investigators. We knew it, and we knew who it was. It was one of our female investigators, and you could clearly see who it was. This happened about maybe 45 minutes to an hour later. Um, we saw that shadow. We captured it, and basically, it's a hunting camera. It's an infrared trap camera caught this shadow, and and again, it had this look like it was kind of materializing, walked along this path, along this path that went behind this grove of trees and then just kind of disappeared. And uh, now that blew my mind um, because we we just couldn't debunk it. We absolutely tried, and we couldn't debunk that. Um, We're 99% certain that wasn't one of us walking along there. and so that was another experience. I've had so many experiences of that just at that one location. Uh, just to give you another um, experience that I had at that location, uh, I brought the group along that I've been working with. Finally um, convinced them because, again, we don't do cemeteries, but convinced them to come out one night with me to this location, the marker location. And uh, we had uh, set up chairs around this area. We had a little fire away from, of course, the cemetery. We're respectful. Um, and I had some motion lights set up outside the camp area. 
uh, what if you want to call it a camp area or just the area where we had our little fire going and uh we had that thing go off and uh so the first thought is is it a squirrel is it a bird or something i, I didn't see anything well you know you kind of dismiss that because you say well that could have been an animal or something um and just to clarify i've taken these things on 30 40 investigations they never go off unless somebody as we like to call it a fleshy walks past one of us makes it go off we've never had it go off and so um we are sitting around after we've been in, out investigating again for a little while we're sitting down and uh, one of the female investigators asked if somebody was there with us to make that light go off and within a split second the light went off whoa yeah so that was the second time that happened that night and uh so again i <laughs> is yeah. it possible it could have been an animal sure a, a squirrel or something sure i mean it's not out of the realm of possibility but um you know just uh Probability-wise, the probability of that happening a split second after she asked that question is very low. Right. You know, in my mind. So um, we had that happen. We had a couple of investigators that claimed they saw a full-body apparition walk right along. I wasn't there at the time. I was uh, across on the other side of the of the uh, cemetery, so I didn't see it. But two of them witnessed it. And uh, kind of had this transparent appearance to it and just kind of disappeared. Um, and it's not very often that anybody has claimed to have seen an apparition in our group. So that was pretty significant being that two investigators at the same time witnessed that. Wow. So do you go back to that spot often? It sounds like I a good place. I do on occasion. I do on occasion. Um, I haven't for a while. It's been about a year since I've been out to that location. We have so many other locations, and oftentimes it's clients that want us to go in and investigate an area. And a lot of times it's um, it's commercial businesses. They've had experiences. They've had activity going on in their locations. Uh, and sometimes we just revisit them because we want to go back and uh, see what other evidence we can capture. And we've had many, many locations one particular location that we've investigated many, many times, and I'll just say in Wyoming because it is a confidential location, um, we always have to honor the client's wishes with that. Right. We've had so many things happen across the gamut at that location um, that uh, it's probably by far, probably by, you know, twice as much. The, the amount of activity we've had there has probably been twice as much as any other location we've ever investigated from my experience um disembodied voices we've captured hundreds and hundreds of evps at the location and it's an old abandoned motel uh. it's an old abandoned hotel i should say and uh it used to be located right next to where there was a brothel and uh there was just a lot going on you know in the early days when that place was open uh we captured the word candy striper on one of our voice recorders one time. And uh, candy striper is a very old term used. And uh, it was used for women who worked in the medical field. And uh, I couldn't tell you all the history behind it, but uh, one of our investigators caught a voice saying candy striper. 
And uh, when we went back and looked up what that meant, there was some meaning behind that. So that was interesting. But we've had our name called. Um, I've been called a jerk. Oh, wow. Uh, I've been called other names. I've had female and male voices call my name. So obviously they know who I am. I've been at the location multiple times. But what I will tell you, Nick, is we never get them tell us names. Almost never. Yeah. Um, I've asked time and time again for names. There is probably maybe I, we could count them on one hand when we think we've gotten names on voice recorders. And and I, that's one of the one of the kind of things that boggles me about doing this is uh, why do we never get names? Uh, we almost never do. There is another location that we investigate, and we've investigated several times. Um, and it's another location right close to where I live. Um, it's, a, it's a restaurant. Um, some of the people that have worked there have had experiences there. Um, we've had several EVPs there as well. And uh, I just have kind of an anecdotal story I want to share about this one. Sounds good. I had a camera set up in uh, one of the back dining rooms and, uh, you know, a, a night vision camera set up, which also has audio on it. And I captured a female saying the word wash. So kind of weird, just one word, wash. Uh, and uh, they have these voice generating devices. This one in particular is called the Paranormal Puck 2. I don't really know the, uh, the inner workings of it, how it really works. One of our investigators was using it. Same area. Um exact same area we were back there doing an evp session and uh, lo and behold this is after i captured that one evp what word comes up wash wow yeah really weird um i actually captured a female voice when i asked how old are you and it sounded like a female said 30 <laughs> um which sounds young for a spirit but who knows uh maybe that person died you know at 30 years old who knows right. but we and I could go on and on for, you know, probably well over an hour on some of the EVPs we've captured. Some of them have been full sentences, um, and uh, we've been cussed at. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all kinds of different EVPs that we've captured, and um, we've captured anomalies on cameras. But uh, going back to ninety over 90% of what we capture as far as evidence uh, is in the form of EVPs. Um, so we capture on voice recorders. Now, why do we not capture more? Why are they often one word or short sentences? Uh, I don't know. Maybe we're only capturing part of what they're saying. Um, maybe part of what they're saying is a different frequency. The voice recorder just doesn't pick it up well. Uh, we found out that EVPs are very directional. Um, we can have a voice recorder on one side of the room and one on the other side facing each other, and one voice recorder will pick it up and the other doesn't. Um, so we know they're very directional. Uh, we know this with disembodied voices because we'll have one investigator who will hear a voice and they'll be they'll be facing one direction. And the other investigator is facing another direction and they don't hear it. And we go back and play it on the voice recorder and it's there. Hmm. So we know, you know, they're very directional. Why? I don't know how a spirit is creating. Here's another thing that would that can really blow your mind. If a spirit does not have vocal cords, you know, sound is pressure waves. Your vocal cord creates a pressure wave. That pressure wave goes out. Your ear picks it up. Sends a signal to the brain. That's how you hear it. Well, if they don't have vocal cords, how are we hearing them? 
you know, that's another thing that that often blows our mind. Is it bypassing the ear and going right to the brain? We don't know. I mean, again, there's so many things we just don't know. But we know it's a real phenomena. We've had, you know, we've cataloged in the tune of over thousands of EVPs as a group. Yeah. I've cataloged well over 100 EVPs, which I would consider legitimate and unexplainable. Wow. So we know it's real. Um, you know, now can we convince those in the science world it's real? Absolutely not. <laughs> You're never going to be able to convince those people because it's not something you can repeat like you can a, a typical science experiment. Right. Um, it's not something repeatable. It's not something that you're going to go back and the same thing's going to happen every time. And so uh, scientifically, can we explain this? Absolutely not. And uh, not a chance. But we're dealing with something that possibly is completely outside of the realm of our known understanding of physics and everything else. So how are we supposed to explain it scientifically? Well, we can't. And, and uh you know, that's one of the challenges here. Maybe there's, I mean, quantum physics is even getting into the paranormal. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the term Mandela effect. I, I heard you mention it, but I don't know what it is. So um, I just had a gentleman on who wrote a book about the Mandela effect and how kind of quantum physics ties into all of it. Um, but the Mandela effect is essentially um, something, some sort of, if you want to call it an event in history, and how it really got termed the Mandela effect was Nelson Mandela, um, there's people around the world that remember what happened to Nelson Mandela in two different versions. Some remember that he was jailed and died in prison, and some remember him actually becoming the president of South America. Eventually, uh, he did get jailed at one point, but became the president of South America. Two different versions of the story. So this is one thing that, that's how the term got coined was was started with Nelson Mandela. So um, two different versions. So your skeptics are going to say, and there's a lot of different examples that we, I can I can mention about the the Mandela effect. Um, people remember the Monopoly game. They remember the Monopoly guy with the monocle. You go back now. None of the none of the uh, none of the games have he doesn't have a monocle. That's another one. Um, the line in Forrest Gump where um, Forrest Gump's sitting down on the bench with the lady. And uh, he says, life is like a box of chocolates. Well, if you listen to it now, it says life was like a box, box of chocolates. Whoa. Everybody remembers it as life is like a box yeah, of chocolates. that's how that's I know it. Everybody remembers the line. Uh, the, the famous Star Wars line in Empire Strikes Back um, where people remember... Darth Vader saying, Luke, I am your father. It doesn't say that now. Right. It says, no, I am your father. <laughs> so these are just little anecdotal examples. But uh, Rob Shelsky, who wrote the book Shattered Reality, The Mandela Effect, has got countless examples of where this is occurring. Um, and even physical evidence of, of, of the Mandela Effect where there's slight variations of changes in things, um, and uh, everybody remembers it one way. Now, is that because of false memory? Well, if it was false memory, wouldn't everybody remember it in different variations? Um, and so these are the kind of things, when you start looking at the, you know, the wider spectrum of different paranormal phenomena, and, you know, this is just one of them, 
it can really start to blow your mind. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, there's there's countless examples going back to the Mandela effect and talking about that. But let me ask you this. How do you remember the color chartreuse? The color? I'm not sure what that is. Okay. So uh, this, the, the color chartreuse is now a lime green color. And most people remember it as a maroon, reddish, uh, maybe even kind of a violet type of color. A lot of people remember it that way. And it is now, if you look up chartreuse, the color is a lime green, lime green color. Hmm. So, again, that's just another example. But uh, where this kind of ties into quantum physics is um, you've got people now starting to ask, is there some sort of, uh, are we dealing with, and scientists are even saying now there's, there's evidence that we there's 10 to 11 parallel universes. So is this something that's the result of parallel universes and some sort of weird crossover going on between parallel universes and there's land masses that were on maps at one point in time people remember and no longer show up on maps. They just seem to have disappeared. Weird. Uh, and one example is the North Pole. I always remember seeing an ice polar cap on the North Pole, just like the South Pole. Go back and look at any map now. You will not see a North Pole ice cap there. Wow. And so, you know, I'm just throwing this out here. And so once you start to explore other things in the paranormal, there's so many different things out there that are unexplainable. Um, going back to the UFO phenomena, there are so many different sightings out there. So many people, new uh, whistleblowers coming out all the time on this subject. And, and it's so there's so much out there. Um, it's hard to believe, and so many credible witnesses that have come forth, it's so hard to believe that uh, there's nothing really to this phenomena. There's something real about it. There's something going on. The question is, what is going on? And uh, so now a lot of ufologists are getting into the belief that there could be multiple explanations for what's going on. They could be coming from some sort of other dimension. Um, so it doesn't always just necessarily mean that they're coming from some other star system because if you ask some of the physicists today they'll say it's impossible for them to travel you know thousands of light years or even hundreds of light years right well if you stop if you step back and say well based on our understanding of physics today no it's probably not possible but are there civilizations out there that are millions if not billions of years ahead of us uh, our universe, or not our universe, let me back up, our galaxy is considered a fairly young galaxy. If you look at the billions and billions of years that our universe has been in existence, there's a very good chance there's other civilizations out there that are millions, if not billions of years ahead of us. So uh, is it possible that these civilizations have figured, out, have figured this out in all these millions of years, they've been, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've had millions of years to figure this out ahead of us and where we're at at this point. Certainly possible. Yeah, and, sure. uh, so, you know, there's so many things as you start exploring the paranormal, so many, so many different things out there. Uh, if you go to the, the case of all of the, the missing people out there, uh, thousands of people show up missing unexplained every year. Now, some of those could have been they were murdered. Um, their bodies were hidden somewhere. 
but people are showing turning up missing 20 yards from a group as they're hiking in a national park. David Polides has done a lot of work on missing person cases. Uh, he's done books and uh, a lot of different radio shows and all the research he's done on this. Where are people going? There's, there's, there's cases where people are just turning up missing. There's no, there's no blood. There's no tracks around them. Like if they were dragged off by a bear or something like that, there would be some sort of evidence there. Tracks, um, blood, you name it. Sometimes people are just completely vanishing out of plain sight to never be found again. And it's happening in the thousands. So um, what is happening to people? Yeah, and how you come uh, this isn't being broadcast more, right? Right, and uh, it's happening in clusters in parks like Yosemite. Yosemite Park in California has had hundreds and hundreds of unexplained missing person cases. Again, David Paulides, if you want to Google him and look it up, uh, some of the work he's done on this, he's a former law enforcement officer, uh, pretty straight, pretty uh, straight-laced guy, a pretty analytical guy done a lot of research on this subject and uh he's still scratching his head as to what's going on here i mean where are people disappearing to does he uh, have a theory or is it just a question mark well it's it's really a question mark you wonder you know there's there's all kinds of possibilities here are people you know i mean as crazy as it may sound are they getting gobbled up into some other dimension are they, you know, you have to open your mind here. Are they, are they getting abducted? You know, I know some people probably think it's crazy that people are, and in the millions, people are reporting getting abducted by aliens. Um, it's, you know, it, it's a real phenomena. Just go back and look at the Travis Walton case for one, um, the Benny and Barney Hill case, and thousands and thousands of other cases you can read about. Uh, something's going on. Um, so what is happening? I mean, it's the weirdest stuff, and people are just disappearing out of plain sight. I'd love to have him on my show. I've tried to get him to come on, and to date I have not been successful. Hopefully I'll get him on the show down the road. Um, but it's just absolutely mind-boggling how people are just disappearing. So, um, you know, again, I talk about this stuff because to me this all kind of falls in the unexplained, the 40 kind of topics that I cover on my show. Um and uh, near-death experiences are another of them, one of them. Um, people who have actually officially died and come back, and they've been brought back to life, and have had out-of-body experiences that they've seen their body on the operating table. They've explained objects that were on another level of a room that they could have never known were there. Um, you know, these are the kind of things that just absolutely fascinate me. Uh, and, uh, you know, people reporting very, very similar um, experiences from near-death experiences. I had uh, Jeff Olson on the show last year uh, and a uh, very, very sad story. He actually was in an accident, drifted off to sleep, um, came to and uh, overcorrected his vehicle and rolled his vehicle about his SUV about seven or eight times. His wife and his eight-month-old son died immediately. Wow. Uh, and mysteriously, his uh, seven-year-old seven son, Spencer, walked away almost completely un unharmed. Uh, he spent 
months and months in the hospital, had to have one of his legs amputated. Uh, but the fascinating thing about his story was that he actually, you know, the experiences he had as a result of that, he's wrote, written a book, he's written several books. One is Mile Marker 80, which is where he had the accident. Uh, and the other book is Knowing. And uh, it's it's got a subtitle there. I don't remember the full title. But it's where he talks about his out-of-body or, if you want to call it, near-death experience. He was never clinically dead. He, uh, he was clinging to life by a thread. Um, he experienced his wife, um, as, and uh, she told him, you need to go back. Uh, because she was telling him that his son had survived, his one son, and he needed to be there for his son. And uh, even though his eight-month-old and his wife had passed on, and uh, he had a couple of out-of-body experiences while he was in the hospital clinging to life. And to him, the experiences he had were so real that they were even more real than being here in the existence we are in in this world. And uh, so many experiences that near-death experience people have had that have been similar. They seem to go through some sort of life review um, after death. Um, and it's not, you know, the fire and brimstone, the kind of things that, um, you know, kind of religion, when we think of religion, what happens after we die. It's a little bit different, and it and it's across people of different um, diverse backgrounds and religious backgrounds. A lot of times they're having the same type of experiences. They're going through this weird sort of life review um, after they pass on, and then somehow they come back. You know, they, they, they're resuscitated, they come back, but they have this very significant experience for a minute or however long, but they, they also often report that it feels like time just stands still. So it's almost as if on this other side, time doesn't exist. Um, you know, in other words, time is just a creation in this life that we have. And once you move on and pass on to that side, time just kind of no longer exists. Mm. Um, so that's another fascinating thing. Jeff Olson's story is fascinating. Uh, I had him on the show and I've listened to like Dr. Raymond Moody talk about the subject. He's done many, many years of research on the subject. There's been many other um, researchers out there to research the subject, and uh, there really does seem to be so many thousands of people that report similar experiences. And you know, your your hardcore science you know um, science people are going to say it's just neurons firing in the brain as you're passing away, but it doesn't explain how people are having some of these strange um, out of body experiences, and they're seeing things that they couldn't see. They're explaining things going on on the operating table as they're already clinically dead and they're watching this stuff going on. They're explaining exactly what's going on on the operating table. They're above their body. Um, how do you explain this? And I mean, you're talking thousands and thousands, of, probably in the tune of about, you know, close to a million different cases out there of people that have had similar experiences. So... Again, just another area that's just fascinating to me, and uh, I'm really hoping to get another, uh, maybe like a Dr. Raymond Moody or something on the show to really talk about that. He's done many, many years of research on it, but it's, it's just another fascinating area. Yeah, that's that's incredible. Um, 
do you have any theories about what happens after death? Well, um, I, again, going back to what I've read about with near-death experiences, um, I, I, I think that, you know, we all have this sort of, again, going back to that life review you want to call it a spirit guide, whatever you want to call it, I think they're around us at all times. I just think some of us are not open to it. Some of us are not as sensitive to it. Um, and this kind of gets into the area of psychics and mediums. I've had three different psychics and mediums on the show. I've had readings done. Um, there's some things they've been spot on with me. Um, and, and I don't know how to explain it. But I would say at this point, I think my... You know, and again, I don't want to get into the subject of religion per se, other than to say, I, I have a firm belief that w when we when we leave this realm, we go into a, a, a spiritual realm, and uh, there's probably going to be some sort of review of our life, and we're going to, you know, uh, partly so that we can try and learn and grow from it. And uh, I don't think it's to be judged. I don't think that we're going onto the other side and we're being judged. And oftentimes, near-death experiencers saying it's a, it's a feeling of, of peace, tranquility, love, and uh, you don't feel like you're going into a situation where you're being judged. You're going to a situation where you're going to have a review of your life, and it's really about looking back and and uh, trying to learn from the experience. Um, so I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, I've I've read enough about the subject of near-death experiences. Um, now, what exactly happens from there? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. yeah. But I, I certainly am a firm believer that we move on to the other, uh, onto another realm, uh, another dimension. We move on. Um, consciousness moves on. Uh, this goes into another fascinating topic. I had Brandon Masulo on the on the show. He's a parapsychologist. Um, and there's another fascinating area, parapsychology, but I'm, I'm a firm believer that consciousness doesn't just exist in the brain. I think there's collective consciousness. Uh, I think that there's that's kind of where we all get kind of this understanding of right and wrong, what you want to call it, you know, um, just kind of all of us have this general understanding, even shortly after being born about, now we all have to learn. We have to, you know, go through life and learn things and, and uh, you know, and stumble and fall and do all that kind of stuff like everybody does. But I think there's uh, there's also this, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a loss for thinking of the word, I'm trying to think of it, but that we all kind of have, still have this universal understanding of, of what is right and wrong. And I don't think that all comes from just what we learn as we grow. Um, so I think there is this idea of a collective consciousness from the universe, um, wherever it comes from, I don't know, but it's another fascinating topic. Uh, and, uh, it's one where really you can get into where some people say consciousness only exists in the brain. And, uh, aside from that, once we die, we die and that's it. Um, and I'm just not a believer in that at all. Right. Yeah, me either. I, I like the idea of the, uh consciousness connecting everybody right and uh you know getting back to the the you know i had brandon masulo on the show uh and uh you know he talked about in some cases he's done research on 
where people who have been in accidents, a wife is in a tragic accident, but she didn't die. And uh, her husband's sitting in the, in the room, miles and miles away, sitting at home, and sees this apparition of his wife standing in front of him, and he gets this sudden feeling of dread that something has happened. And he finds out she's been in an accident, and she's in the hospital. And, uh, you know, how did that, how did he know that? Um, is there some sort of, you know, is there some sort of transmission being sent, um, you know, from, from his wife to him, long distance, uh, a mother whose son dies in Vietnam, serving in Vietnam, um, and she suddenly feels these, um, this horrible sense of dread and, and feels the wounds possibly from, from, from what her son suffered from being shot and killed in Vietnam. Um, and suddenly gets this again, overwhelming sense of dread that something is happening. And shortly afterward finds out her son was, was, uh, killed in Vietnam, serving in Vietnam. Right. So, I mean, just a couple of cases that he talked about when he was on the show but it's just fascinating stuff, and um, and again, it gets back to this idea that, you know, perhaps there is more to consciousness than um, just our brains. Um, perhaps our brains are the receiving end of consciousness and allow us to process and understand things, but that doesn't necessarily always explain consciousness. And how, by the way, are people experiencing these near-death experiences when at times they're their their brain is essentially no longer functioning. Uh, you know, and they're experiencing these things. And, uh, you know, there's been people that, again, you know, they're clinically pronounced dead. They come back, um, m miraculously come back. And, uh, you know, again, some people are going to say, well, the synapses are still firing, you know. So they're still, maybe this is all just them imagining things. They're, you know, they're thinking back and, but it doesn't explain some of the experiences people are having in their death. Um, you know, when they, when they actually die or they have an out-of-body experience, it, it just doesn't. So, so many fascinating things about the paranormal and so many different things to explore. And, uh, you know, again, that's really why I coined my show Passion for the Paranormal, because I have a passion for this kind of thing and exploring, you know, those uh, unexplainable topics, whatever they may be. Yeah. I can see. I, you've got me excited about it, and we've only talked for however long. But man, you've covered a lot of different stuff, and it's it's really really interesting. Right, and uh, you know, going back to the you know, we got into the discussion. Now, you want to go back to Mandela effect? I always easily dismiss that as ah, oh, it's just false memory. You know, people are just remembering things the wrong way. Um, but again, it doesn't explain how everybody's, you know, I, I don't want to say everybody, how a large group of people, majority of people are remembering things wrong the same way. Right. And uh, that's kind of what Rob Shelsky uh, talked about. I just did an interview with him and that show will be coming out the 1st of March. Um, so any of the listeners out there want to listen to that? It's a fascinating discussion. Rob has done some amazing research in this area. And again, it kind of ties into, oh, excuse me, apologize. Um, the idea of, of quantum physics and our understanding of reality. Um, 
there's so much we don't understand that we think we do. And uh, there's so much going on around us that is unexplainable. And again, it goes into scientists now saying that there's more than one dimension. There's possibly 10 to 11 parallel universes out there. Now, how they come to this conclusion, I don't know. But it's it's fascinating stuff. And it certainly opens your mind to what if ghosts are actually just um, people we're experiencing from another dimension? What if there's just this kind of overlap? If you start looking at areas like uh, I had Stan Gordon on the show. He's a longtime UFO and paranormal researcher in the Pennsylvania Chestnut Ridge area. And uh, they've had some of the most bizarre phenomena going on all across the Chestnut Ridge area. And that spans all the way from uh, southern Pennsylvania all the way down into West Virginia. Strange cryptid sightings, Bigfoot sightings. That's another thing I've covered on the show. Um, I've had three different uh, Bigfoot uh, slash um, paranormal researchers that that have delved into the Bigfoot issue. Um, but so many strange things going on in that area of, of the uh, that neck of the woods in Pennsylvania. Uh, Bigfoot sightings in, in conjunction with UFO sightings across multiple counties. Multiple people across multiple counties reporting this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, people actually seeing Bigfoot-type creatures uh, and people who have shot at them, and uh, no effect, absolutely no effect. Uh, and these these creatures just seem to absolutely disappear out of plain sight. Um, so that brings into the argument, is there some sort of supernatural aspect to the Bigfoot topic? And some are going to say, well, if there's if there's a Bigfoot out there, we would have found bodies by now, right? And that's always been my objection to it. Uh However, when you start to look and delve into it a little bit deeper, you find out there's a lot of other species out there. If it's a, if it's a flesh and blood creature, uh, there's other species we're always finding out about. Right. Um, so is it possible that Bigfoot's out there and uh, it is a hominid bipedal creature that, you know, is just very elusive? And, uh, you know, we just, you know, some people have claimed they have hair samples They've had them analyzed. Uh, they, you know, all the different tree structures they see that are unexplainable. So that's another absolutely fascinating um, subject I've had. I just had William Sheehan on the show. He kind of, he, he does the book series Bigfoot um, and uh, Terror in the Woods is, is the name of his book series. And he talks, he kind of covers it from a little different aspect because there's a lot of uh, people out there who experience Bigfoot and uh, some some people have turned up missing. Uh, some people have um, actually been killed, you know, they think from these creatures, from um, actually coming into close contact with them. And then you have other researchers out there that say, hey, um, we interact with them. We communicate with them. Uh, I had another uh, Bigfoot researcher on the show, uh, Michael Johnson, and he is the uh, head of um, Sasquatch Investigations of the Rockies out there in Colorado. And uh, he's been, he's, his comment is, I'm not a believer, I'm a knower. I've seen these things. I've witnessed them. Um, now, they, you'll get people out there that'll say, well, why don't we get clear photos? Why is every photo we get out there blurry? Um, well, one, if you're out there in the woods and you see these things, you're probably going to be a little bit frightened. 
for me, the first, the last thing I'm going to be doing is thinking about getting my camera out and trying to sample it, <laughs> trying to get out of there. Right. Um, second of all, there have been researchers that have, um, and you know, this is a very controversial one, and it's Todd Standing, who's been a Bigfoot researcher for many years. He's got photos out there, but you know, all the people are going to say they're too good. They're too good. They have to be hoaxed. There's just no way that those could be real. Um, so one end of the spectrum, well, you never get good photos, and then the photos come out and people say, they, they can't be real. Yeah, <laughs> They yeah. have to be hoaxed. They're too good to be true. It's kind of like what you said earlier, right? You can tell people and show people, but until they actually see it, it's not real. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, and, and, and I think there's there's a lot of truth to that. For some people, they just until they experience it, until they, and again, I can't say I'm 100% sold on exactly what Bigfoot is, um, whether it's a flesh and blood creature. If you go back to a lot of the Indian tribes, they believe that it was a supernatural type creature. Who knows? All I know is there's a lot of people reporting it. There's a lot of similar um, characteristics in the way people are describing these sightings. Um, it's just another fascinating topic, um, that is, you know, one out there where you just kind of scratch your head and go, you know, what's going on? Right. Uh, what can be going on out there? Are they part of the reason why some of these strange disappearances are happening? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. But there's just so much going on out there that we can't explain. Uh, but until you actually go into it, it's just like um, UFO cases. Some of the most famous UFO cases, if you go back and do your research on the on the um, Roswell case and just go back there and look at some of the ridiculous claims. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a retired air force officer, so I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to slam on the government for the sake of something on the government, but they did an absolute miserable job of, of trying to explain what happened out there. Why come out with a press release that said they captured a flying disc and then retract it and trying to say it's weather balloons or it was cr it was um, uh, crash test dummies, which at the time in 1947 they didn't even have in existence the type that they said or one of the accounts they made for it. So the claims were never um, made. Some of the claims that were made to try and explain what happened there not credible, uh, and the government tried to put this out there. Um, go back and look at the Rendlesham Forest case that happened um, near um, the Bentwaters base. And the Air Force personnel and even the base commander experienced this. Um, triangular craft with weird hieroglyphics on the craft. I mean, they came out publicly and spoke about this. And yet people are still dismissing it, saying, uh, you know, they, they, they probably just thought they saw what they they, they saw it, but you know they're going to they're going to still dismiss it. And it, if people really spend the time to investigate all the claims and what happened there, I think maybe it might open their eyes. Um, uh, there's one other case that uh, that I, I wanted to to mention here, and um, so the one the other case I wanted to talk about was the Phoenix Lights case. Now, are you familiar with that? I am not. So 1997, over Phoenix, Arizona, over 10,000 witnesses experienced triangular craft flying at low speeds, no sound, no sign of propulsion, 
these are not helicopters. Uh, they were not, uh, you know, jet aircraft. Uh, and you're talking air traffic controllers, policemen. Uh, the former governor, Fife Symington, eventually came out and said, yes, I, and he was a former Air Force pilot that said what I saw was real and there was no logical explanation. It's not anything we're flying. Um, and tens of thousands of people witnessed this. Uh, over, you know, 1997, uh, and Dr. Lynn Katai, she's going to be on the show. I'm very excited to have her coming on the show, too. She produced the um, documentary on the Phoenix Lights incident. You can find it on Amazon. Again, she's experienced these things multiple times. She's filmed them, um, and more often than just that March 13, 1997 case. Tens of thousands of cases. Uh, Kurt Russell, the, the actor, He's a pilot. He was flying into Phoenix at the time and witnessed these things. And later, after the documentary came out, he said, hey, I saw those. I witnessed that when I was flying in, and I called their traffic control, and they said, we don't know what it is. <laughs> wow. And then the military tried to come out and say uh, they were flares. <laughs> the, uh, the Air National Guard was dropping flares over the, the um, Barry Goldwater Range. Are you kidding me? Unbelievable. Uh, a trained pilot knows what flares look like. They drop out of the aircraft and they fall slowly from the sky. These were triangular lights flying over Phoenix. So first the, gov or the military at Luke Air Force Base said, we don't know what's going on. We don't know what's out there. It's not anything that, that we have. Then later came out and changed their story and said it was flares over the range. And, uh, you know, multiple people tried to do FOIA requests for information on this, and we're just stymied. And then Fife Symington, the former governor of Arizona, came out and finally spoke out, came on Larry King Live and said, former Air Force pilot, this is nothing we were flying. This is not anything we're flying. So then, uh, you know, you try and throw in, um, could it have been some sort of experimental aircraft we fly? Well, the military doesn't operate that way. They don't go fly experimental aircraft over metropolitan areas. Right. Uh, you know, so every explanation's been thrown out there. You can debunk. I mean, it just tens of thousands of people experienced these craft, and no propulsion, no sound, um, had kind of a transparent kind of quality to them. You know, as you're looking up into these craft, and they just, you know, a lot of people out there are very, very credible. You know, sources reported these things by the thousands. And so um, how do you explain that? I don't know. I would urge listeners, go back and check out Dr. Lynn Kitai's, um documentary on the Phoenix Lights incident. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. So Definitely going to check that out. Yeah, yeah. So good stuff. Again, uh, another guest I'm going to have on the show. I also had Preston Dennett. He's a UFO researcher that joined me to talk about that case as well. And uh, some of the things I just mentioned to you are some of the things we got into in that conversation. So um, probably one of the most, uh, if you ask me, that's probably one of the most uh, famous, modern, fairly modern um, UFO events that have happened in the United States. There's been others all across the globe, but that's one just based on the sheer volume of witnesses, um, the bogus stories that were put out. And again, uh, again, um, whatever the government reason for doing that i don't know um that's what i was going to ask you if you had any theories of why they would be covering it up or well um 
my my guess is because they don't know what the hell it is. And so rather than to look like they don't understand what's going on, you know, the best thing they can do is say, well, let's just say it's flares. You know, we had aircraft operating earlier that day. Um, but anybody who's got a trained eye, a former pilot, Fife Symington, the former governor, who he mocked the situation initially and then came out later and spoke out and said, no, it really did happen. I witnessed these craft. I can't explain them. Went on Larry King Live to talk about it. And, uh, you know, the only thing I can think of is the, they don't know. And they don't want to say they don't know. Hmm. Uh, they can't explain what happened. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to hear that our government has, may not have control of our skies when these things are coming over. That makes sense. Yeah. And, uh, you know, go back to the 19 uh, – I'm sorry – uh, I was going to say, just go back to last year when the New York Times story broke about the DOD Pentagon's UFO program. Uh, now, that is already uh, more or less tacit admittance by the government that they've been studying UFOs and been looking at the phenomena. You had the 2004 video that came out from the Nimitz where F-18 pilots were tracking these things. And uh, they can't explain what they were tracking. The things just absolutely disappeared off their their radar, um, and uh, were gone. Cap, um, Commander David Fravor, who was the the guy that was, I believe, the flight lead over that incident, still to this day says this is nothing that anybody we know is flying. Not China, not Russia, not us. And uh, so I'm not sure if you're familiar, if anybody's familiar with that, um, you know, New York Times. Uh, article that came out, the mainstream media finally grabbed a hold of it. Fox News, CNN was reporting on it. And I still talk to people this day that don't know the, that that was reported on by mainstream media. Yeah, I had no idea about that. I'm definitely yes. going to look it up. Yeah, definitely go back and look that up. The New York Times story dropped on December 17, 2017. And then, uh, of course, the media just grabbed a hold of it. Um, and the guy that uh, was running the program, Luis Elizondo, has come out. He's spoken. Uh, he's working with this think tank group right now that they're studying this. He, he's actually retired from the government now. But he's a guy who was charging the program. So we know the government's looking at it. We know they're <laughs> they know a lot more than they're leading on to. Um, but why won't they just come out? The, you know, the other thing that I find fascinating is if you look at public polls, the majority of people now, and I believe it's over 60% now, believe in the UFO phenomena, that there's something real to it. Mm. Now, again, whether or not it's, you know, um, you know, whether or not it's gray aliens from another star system, which some people claim we know they're here and they're abducting people and all this kind of stuff, or whether it's, uh, you know, you know, craft from another dimension, time travelers. You name it, going back to all the different things you can, possibilities you can think of, it may be one, it may be more than one of those, po you know, possibilities. Sure. I've heard uh, UFO researchers say it may be all of the above. We don't know. Um, but what happened, uh, you know, with that Nimitz 2004 incident with the video that they reported on uh, in the New York Times story, uh there's, there's, <laughs> I mean, there's no explanation for that. Even the pilots involved, and particularly Commander David Fravor, who's came out on multiple shows now, says 
that thing defied the law of physics, as we know. Wow. Just completely, at one point, he's tracking it on his radar, and it just disappears. It just absolutely, you know, disappears, takes off at tremendous speed, and is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, supposedly, there's a lot more facts to that incident that are classified. Uh, Luis Elizondo says there's there's just a very small snippet that we've heard about. Um, there's a lot more to it. Um, there's so many cases out there, uh, and this is the one that broke last year, and I think it's a huge one. Um, again, I'm so fascinated with UFOlogy and the UFO subject. I thought it was a big deal, but even now people are still, uh, you know, dare I say, kind of burying their heads to the subject. Right. Do you think the technology has changed in this area and is helping us get closer to maybe finding some answers? Well, um, everybody's got cell phones now, right? Yep. So, um, you know, everybody's looking at their cell phones. Now, some people are capturing footage, but how good do you capture footage of something, you know, way up in the sky with your cell phone? Right. Not very good. Um, The other thing is, is a lot of people are always looking at their phones now. And so if you ask, um, you know, if you look statistically, a lot of the ufologists are saying, well, we're getting less reports now. Well, is that because people are just not looking in the sky as much as they used to? Uh, I don't know. There's still a lot of reports out there going on all the time. There was just one um, where they had uh, commercial pilots report UFO over Arizona. That was also leaked and went out in the mainstream media. This subject has not been covered by mainstream media in the past because they've always mocked and ridiculed it. Well, that's changing. Now you had that New York Times story, CNN grabbed a hold of it, Fox News grabbed a hold of it, um, and it's becoming more mainstream slowly, and people are more and more starting to believe there's something real to the UFO phenomenon. So um, has the technology changed? Well, obviously, commercial satellite imagery. Um, you know, there's new things popping up. People are putting photos out there. The problem is there's so much out there, you don't know what to believe is real or not real. Sure. Um, unless you're a, you're very good at, um, you know, looking at imagery, looking at images and being able to see whether something's CGI or not. Um, there's a lot of people trained to do that and can easily dis- disbunk and dismiss. Apparently, there's a lot of people out there that don't have anything better to do with their time than put out fake stuff just so that they can try and fool people. There was a guy here in Utah that, you know, put a hologram of a UFO in the sky and, you know, hundreds of people are calling it in. And uh, it turns out that it was a complete hoax. Wow. Yeah, but he hoaxed a lot of people. But my thought is, (laughs) well, first of all, people need to find something better to do with their time. (laughs) Yeah, really. You know, but um, there's so many cases out there where there's no explanation. Um, there's no logical explanation for what happened. Now, the government can say it's swamp gas. It's uh, When I say the government, and who in the government, you know, is it is it very small factions, whether it's NASA. Edgar Mitchell, Apollo 14 astronaut, um, was a firm believer. He came from Roswell, New Mexico. He knew people from, New, from Roswell, and they all told him it was a real event. Uh, well, I, when I say all of them, some of the people that uh, he knew very well, I should say, at Roswell actually told him they witnessed it. They knew it was a real event. Uh, he actually was a firm believer in the UFO phenomena. Uh, Gordo Cooper, 
former Gemini astronaut, came out publicly and said, I saw one land on a dry lake bed near Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, we had cameras. We were snapping photos. Um, guys back at the base came and snapped up our cameras and took them away, and that was it. <laughs> and uh, he witnessed one of these things land on a dry lake bed. Um, this is an astronaut. Um, there's a few other astronauts who have come out and talk, talked about it and said they saw weird stuff on missions. But, you know, again, um, some of their claims were just dismissed for whatever reason. So there's so much to the phenomena out there. I think more and more people are opening their eyes to it and realizing that there's really a lot more to this than, um, you know, than, than what we're being told. Right. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely something going on, and just from listening to this, it kind of seems like they all might be connected somehow. Yeah, and so I'm going to just throw one more thing out here. I know we've been going for quite a while here, but uh, there's another very interesting place here, and uh, it's uh, Skinwalker Ranch, and uh, it's near Duchesne. It's out here in the Uena Basin. Uh, so Jeremy Corbell just came out with a new film, um, The Hunt for Skinwalker, and uh, there were government think tank people, uh, scientists that came in and studied this area. Um, and, uh, you know, George, uh, trying to think of his name now, he's on Coast to Coast AM. He's a big, uh, uh, I wanted to say George Norrie, but that's not George, George now. Uh, he's been... Uh, he actually went in with a bunch of government insiders to study this area. All kinds of UFOs and other strange paranormal phenomena going on out there. Um, and you're talking scientists that experienced this kind of stuff. And they came back in the documentary and said, we had stuff going on. One, we couldn't explain it. Uh, two, it was always a step ahead of us. Um, we thought we could you know, come to logical conclusions on some of this stuff, and they couldn't. And uh, they had weird stuff going on that, I mean, you want to talk about paranormal stuff going on out there. It goes across the gamut, all kinds of weird cryptid creatures, UFOs, um, just you name it, all kinds of strange paranormal phenomena going on there. So uh, if you haven't seen Jeremy Corbell's film, The Hunt for Skinwalker, I suggest, uh, highly suggest you check that out. Uh, it's been out for a few months now. Uh, very fascinating film, and uh, these guys are uh, again some of these guys that were on this uh, this um, uh, this group that studied this area were former government uh, you know researchers, scientists. I mean, they were people of of, of uh, you know some some pretty important backgrounds, and uh, you know some pretty legitimate backgrounds who said uh, there was all kinds of weird stuff going on out there. So, uh, so many things going on. And uh, in the documentary, they actually tie it back to the uh, the UFO sighting that I just mentioned that the New York Times story broke on. So, uh, again, if you haven't checked that out, I would uh, encourage everybody to go back and check out The Hunt for Skinwalker. Fascinating stuff going on. Again, just another thread to all the strange and mysterious stuff that goes on that some people just never hear about. Um, but uh, really, really good documentary. Wow. Yeah, this is great. I mean, I feel like even just getting this information out to people will get them pulling on the threads, and maybe, you know, the more people you have on it, the more chance you have of 
finding something and people looking for something. Right. And, and, you know, that's kind of the way I look at the subject. The more people open their minds to stuff going on around them, again, like you said, the more people are going to be looking, the more people are going to reporting, are going to be willing to report. How many people are seeing UFOs out there that they never report it? I mean, you're probably talking one in 10 ever get reported. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think it's a point Peter Davenport from the UFO, the National UFO Reporting Center has mentioned. There's probably, for every one that gets reported, there's probably 10 others that never get reported because, one, people just, they don't want, one, they're not going to tell their friends about it. They don't want their friends to laugh at them. They don't want to be mocked or ridiculed. So how many of those just don't go reported because people are scared? There's this, there's that fear factor of, you know, putting it out there and then the chance that their friends or their coworkers or whoever are going to ridicule them because, because of it. Right. Or they think, I must be going crazy. That's, that's not a real thing. How can I be seeing this? How can I be experiencing this? Exactly. Yeah. And I've experienced that in paranormal investigating. I've, you know, witnessed, you know, glowing balls of light that have flown right in front of my face. And uh, I've never seen a full body apparition, but I've seen, you know, self-illuminating balls of light float right in front of my face, basically. Golf ball size kind of lights has happened to me on a couple of different occasions. And I tried to talk myself out of what I seen. I said, well, I must have been just imagining that or I hallucinate. Did I really see that? And, you know, what it comes down to, another investigator seeing the same thing was on the other side of the building in a different group. We were broken up into two groups and 45 minutes later experienced the same thing. I never told him about what I saw. And he said, by the way, I saw these weird, you know, balls of light floating in front of me down there in the basement. I said, I saw the same. Yeah, <laughs> I saw the exact same crazy. thing. There's no light source. We're looking for a light source. Um, you know, is there some sort of light source coming through that's causing this? We sure couldn't find it. Um, so, you know, what's going on? I, I couldn't explain it. That's happened to me on a couple of different occasions. Um, you know, just so many experiences that, you know, you know I, can, I can think back about it and I just can't explain it. Right. Just, I got a question on how did you learn about this stuff was it just reading on the internet um how did you find the group how did you start this journey well uh you know like i said before it was really about um you know just just watching the the, the big show that really influenced me was uh, ghost hunters and that um you know i really liked their approach to the way they did things and then um I found out about another group that was doing the, you know, the paranormal investigation tours at a location. My wife and I thought, well, let's just go check this out. Why not? You know, I, I again, I'm, st I was still a skeptic at this time, but I'm like, but is there something to it? You know, the curiosity factor just uh, was there. Uh, I wanted to know, and I wanted to go try and experience for myself. And if I never experienced anything, I would probably be here today saying. I don't believe in this. There's no ghosts. I've never experienced it, but it wasn't my experience. And once I actually got out there and opened up to it and went out there and started investigating and, uh, you know, going back to how I got started with the other group, well, my sister-in-law was already working with the group and she was already into the paranormal and, and, uh, she knew that I went on one of these other, um, tours or on an investigation with the group. She said, well, why don't you come check us out? 
Uh, and uh, so, so again, it was just she invited me along. If you go out on the Internet and look at how many paranormal groups are out there, you'll find thousands of them. It has just blossomed. Okay. And really, so what's happened with, there's been the good and the bad with the shows. Um, one, I, it's opened up the topic to a lot more people. A lot more people became open to it. A lot more, it's gotten a lot of exposure and a lot more groups out there started forming as a result of it. But on the other hand, there's a lot of uh, the Hollywood hype to it. The, you know, the, the playing on people's fears. And again, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say there's not bad stuff going out there. I'm sure there's bad spirits. There's negative spirits. If you want to call it demonic, um, that's fine. I just haven't experienced it. It's uh, again, I think, uh, you know, I'm a believer in the kind of energy you bring to the table maybe the kind of energy you attract. So if you're going out there and, um, you know, say you're somebody that's going to provoke and be disrespectful and uh, you're just not bringing the right energy to a location, then you may be putting yourself in a little bit more danger in what you do. Makes so I've had, pe- I've had people ask me, um, do you, don't you worry about what you do? Don't you worry about bringing something home? Don't you worry about you know, getting a negative attachment? And my response is no, I don't. Because I don't even, I try to be mindful of what I'm doing. And again, when I go into a location, I try to be respectful. And I'm trying to make a connection with whatever may be there. Do I go in and do seances and work with Ouija boards? No, I don't do that. That's not about what I do. I'm not trying to conjure something out of nowhere. I am trying to go in, and the group I work with, we just try and go in and try and find evidence of what may already be lurking there, what uh, what spirits, what ghosts may be here, and uh, you know, try and get some answers. A lot of times we don't get answers. We may get some evidence, but that doesn't mean we get answers. We don't go through and clear buildings and that sort of thing. It's not what we do. Right. Uh, do you have any tips if someone wants to go try and find one of these investigative groups? How do you know which is one that's, you know, reputable, I guess? Uh, I would say just get on the Internet and find out what groups are out there. Okay. All you got to do is go on the Internet, start doing a Google search and say paranormal groups in Maine, paranormal groups in Florida, paranormal groups, and you'll find thousands of them now. I guess the next question would be, how do you find uh, ones that you feel like are legitimate? Well, that's going to take some time. Maybe go back and do some research. Look at some of their sites. Look at um, some of the testimonials. Look at, uh, is there clients on there that said, we've liked working with these guys. These guys are great. Um, They're professional. So just be mindful of that when you're searching out and reach out to them. Say, hey, uh, you know, I'm interested in this subject. I've been interested in it for a while. Um, you know, just reach out to them, email them. They all have email contacts, most of them on their websites. Reach out and touch base with them and see if maybe they might allow you to go along as a guest sometime and go out and try it out for yourself. Um, but I would just say be mindful of who you are um, looking up and because uh, there's different kinds of groups out there. Some are out there for just a quick thrill. And uh, there's a lot of, you know, and and not anything against young people, but there are some young people that form these groups and they go out there and they run around cemeteries and act crazy and and they're in it for a quick, you know, thrill. Now, 
Um, and there's other groups that are in it for, for the long haul and they're re- um, they want to research it and they're in it to try and find answers just like uh, others of us do. We want answers. We're now, like I said, um, we don't often get answers other than we know that there's something going on. We know that there's spirits in locations where we go and investigate. Problem is we oftentimes don't get answers about why they're there um, or what they're doing. And sometimes that's what clients are looking for. We're not always able to provide those answers. What we are able to provide sometimes is just a peace of mind for them to know that, hey, they're not crazy in what they're experiencing. Um, If we capture evidence, we can tell them we know something's going on here. We've captured evidence of it. And uh, it helps you know, validate what people may be experiencing, whether they're employees of a certain location, uh, owners of a building, um, that sort of thing. One thing that we don't really do is residential. So we don't go into residential locations very often, and there's kind of some reasons for that. Uh, There's oftentimes we found that um, there may be logical explanations for things going on in people's homes. Uh, noises, that sort of thing. It may be pipes, it may be that sort of thing. Sometimes people are quickly jumping to conclusions and saying, I have a ghost or I have a spirit in my house. Um, and, um, you know, we go in, we've went in, we've we've investigated, we don't find anything. And uh, it doesn't mean that the place is not haunted, it just means we didn't find any evidence of it. Sure. So, um, but the problem with residentials is sometimes the people are scared they're scared for their children. Um, they're in hysteria over it. And um, you have to consider uh, things like uh, EMF, electromagnetic uh, frequency and in interferences in hounds. Uh, is there junction boxes that are causing high EMF in a certain area, which has been known to cause hallucinations? Um, it's been known that... Um, it's been proven that certain alarm clocks in people's bedrooms can cause hallucinations and make it feel like somebody's watching over you or someone's standing over you. Um, again, I'll go back to my uh, my show I did with Brandon Masulo. He talked about some of this stuff. Um, so it's really the paranormal is also about ruling out and debunking in areas where there may be logical explanations for what's going on. Um, now, you never go into a location and tell someone your place is not haunted. I understand that because you don't know what people are experiencing. You don't know what's going on there. All you can tell them is, hey, we haven't found any evidence. Mm. And, uh, you know, maybe a door or windows opening and and closing. Are there vents in the area? Is there a lot of ventilation? Maybe there. And we have found logical explanations for things before. So it's also about the, you know, trying to rule out those logical explanations for things. And once you can at least try to do that, then, you know, you can say, well, we tried to roll out the logical, the explainable parts of this. Now we still have this going on and we can't roll it out, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally does. I mean, for an unscientific unknown, it's pretty scientific. I mean, And yeah, and again, it depends on um, there are different groups out there and there's some that are quickly jumping to assumptions and, uh, you know, they'll go out and... You know, they may call it, I hate the term ghost hunting, never have liked that term. To me, that sounds like a bunch of thrill seekers running out there, um, you know, just trying to get a cheap thrill and scare themselves or whatever. 
I always have preferred the term paranormal investigating. I think it uh, it doesn't lend any credibility to the field when people say ghost hunting. Um, to me, that's just a bunch of thrill seekers going out there, um, you know, trying to scare themselves or whatever the case may be. Um, I think there's some validity to the field. Um, what I would also say, though, is uh, I don't think there are any experts in the field, to, to tell you the truth, because we're looking at something that we can't explain. Um, we may have gathered what we think is evidence of it, but we can't explain it, and we can't explain what's going on oftentimes. So um, I like to think of myself as not only a paranormal investigator, but also an explorer. I'm, you know, researcher, if you want to call it a researcher, that's fine too. You know, we're researching it. We're trying to get answers. It's just there's so many things unanswered out there going on. Right. That's amazing. That's a really, really cool story. And it's definitely got me interested in this. Um, it's something, you know, I've heard about and thought about a little bit, but definitely not as in depth as uh, you have. <laughs> but right. there's a there's a lot of stuff I'm going to go look up and read and watch after this. So I appreciate yeah. you giving the information. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd strongly encourage you to do that because there's a lot of fascinating stuff out there. Um, but one of the challenges just with the internet and everything and, uh, you know, YouTube and, and, uh, you know, all the social media sites and everything, there's so much, it's hard to separate the wheat from the chaff as the saying goes, um, who out there is hoaxing and who is hoaxing on purpose? Um, well, hopefully those people are found out and discovered quickly. Sometimes they are. Um, but there's so much at, so much of it out there. And so, you know, I just also caution listeners to, you know, make sure you, you look at these sorts of things. And I know a lot of people will, there's a, there's a lot of skeptics out there and that's a good thing. I think being a skeptic is a healthy thing. Um, and, uh, you know, just look at it with discerning eyes. If, uh, you see, see, see something out there on the internet that there's video of, um, you know, don't automatically assume that, you know, it's uh, it's something paranormal. You know, do your research. If you're looking at different cases, do your research into them. Um, because the government said it's swamp gas, uh, and when I say the government, you know, um, you know, whoever within, you want to call it the deep state, whoever, I don't, you know, some people will get into the conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff and say NASA's covering this stuff up too. Um, I can see reasons why they would. Um, but then again, I also see reasons why we're getting into a time where I think people are more open to this. Um, but I don't think it's ever going to come from our government. I don't think they're ever going to come out and just freely say, yeah, we know that, uh, you know, again, I, I'm kind of jumping around here a little bit, but I'm getting kind of back to the UFO issue. I don't think they're ever going to come out anytime soon and say, yeah, we've been studying, uh, aside from the, the Luis Elizondo story that broke. The government still never officially come out. The president, um, you know, any of the higher ups had never come out and said, yeah, we've been studying this. We've been doing it for a long time. The CIA, whoever else, they're not doing that. Um, and the chances of them doing it, I probably not very good anytime soon. Now, there's an army of UFO researchers out there. They're all over the place now. There's thousands, thousands of them out there. Um we, the public, need to be better educated about it. 
we need to go out and do our own research because we can't expect the government to do it. They're not going to. Right. And so um, if we're going to learn more about this phenomenon and this issue, we need to go out and uh, research it ourselves. Um, people need to be more proactive about it, in my opinion. Um, maybe not bring the fear into it so much or uh, the ridicule factor. I just remember there was a, a story that broke about what a lot of people thought was a large meteor. And there's a um, a famous Harvard researcher or Harvard, um, uh, I don't know if he is a, I don't know if he's an instructor there or I think he's an astronomer and he actually is on the staff at Harvard, came out and said, there's a chance that might think that thing based on its trajectory and way it moved, we think that might think could have been extraterrestrial. And of course it got mocked in the news. Sure. And this is a Harvard scientist, yeah, yeah. a Harvard researcher, uh, a Harvard astronomer. I, and I don't remember the guy's name. You can look it up, go back on the internet, and look it up. It's something that happened. Um, and I'm trying to think of the name of what they gave it. It was some Hawaiian name. Um, <laughs> and I can't remember what the name of it was, but go back and look it up. This just happened in recent months. Um, and of course it got ridiculed in the mainstream and, um, uh, you know, whatever. But, uh, the fact is this is a Harvard astronomer who was, who was, um, studying this thing and, uh, you know, put it out there that, uh, this may not have just been a meteorite. So, um, so much out there. There's so much to research. Fascinating stuff out there. I heard your listeners, um, you know, go out there and uh, do some research on your own. Yeah, Look stuff. Definitely will. Well, I want to be. Um, I want to be thinking about your time here. But I know you mentioned you have a book coming out this summer. I don't know if you want to have time and want to talk about that at all. Yeah, no, I'll just touch on that briefly. Um, so I'm still working feverishly on it um, about halfway through. And really, the book is um, really about me documenting my journey is into the paranormal. And uh, so it's really about how I got started and just kind of like some of the conversation we had and uh, some of the experiences I've had. So it's really about me, you know, and my journey into the paranormal from going from a skeptic to really a, a believer now. And uh, so I think it will resonate with people, and I'm really hoping it will, because I know there's a lot of people that come into this field as pretty pretty skeptical. Uh, unless you're somebody that's had a lot of experiences, I came into it from a different avenue, if you will. I never had a lot of, I never really had any experiences that I could say were paranormal. I'm not someone who's a psychic or is um, somebody who would be called an empath or any of those kinds of things. Um, I just had a curious mind, and uh, I just wanted to know, was there something more to this? Uh, so I just went out there and, and just started, you know, looking into it and, you know, eventually ended up becoming a paranormal investigator, and here I am. So really, that's kind of what the book's about, is kind of documenting my journey into the paranormal and, and uh, you know, how, you know, that journey's kind of unfolded for me. Awesome, awesome. Look forward to checking it out when you release it yeah i'm hoping uh summertime probably looking at late summertime but uh again i'm still in the deciding stages is this going to be self-published um it's a lot easier nowadays to self-publish 
Am I going to go out to publishers for the book? Uh, you know, there's a lot of decision points still. I'm still a long ways out, but uh, I am going to finish the book and uh, I'm going to get it out there. So whether it's self-published or, uh, you know, I actually get publishers that are interested or not, um, I will get it out there and, uh, you know, it will be out there. Uh, I like that determination. Yeah. <laughs> Got a long ways to go on it, but uh, it's a work in progress. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm definitely, uh, you know, going to get it done. So uh, sometimes we, you know, we have uh, pretty aggressive goals, and I think that's, that's good to have aggressive goals sometimes. Sometimes we have to push things a little to the right sometimes, but I'm really hoping late summertime. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate the time. I really appreciate all you're doing, all this research and informing people about what's going on out there. Um, it was a lot of fun and really, really got my brain working. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it, it is fascinating stuff. Uh, this this journey for me is, uh, it's been enlightening. It's been fascinating. Uh, I can't see myself ever stopping, you know, looking into all these different things and that's why i do the show too i love doing the show and uh anybody ever wants to check out the show um you can go to my website uh just go to uh passion the number four the paranormal.com i've got all most all the past episodes uh, on the website there you can access them there uh, a lot of great shows a lot of great guests who've written books and done a lot of research on different paranormal topics um so hopefully you'll uh, go out there check out the show and, uh, you know, keep an open mind. Go out there and uh, look into some of this stuff. It's fascinating stuff. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Strangers in a Small World. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and send a review on your favorite podcast listener. If you want to reach out to us, check us out on Twitter at Strangers in a Pod, on Instagram at Strangers in a Small World, or go straight to our website and hit us up at www.strangersinasmallworld.com. On the website, you can find information on the show, as well as links to everything we talked about in today's conversation. Thanks again for listening. And remember, although we may be strangers, we all live together in this small world.